ask you to turn in your Bible to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 6, and it's found on page 100, 1,148. That can't be right. 1,158. So, and we're going to read verses 1 to 13, but our passage this morning is verses 7 to 13. In our study of Mark's gospel, we have recently been considering Jesus' power over nature, over evil, over sickness, and over death. And for the demoniac, and for the woman, and for Jairus' daughter, they put their faith in Christ. And we see that Christ responds to their faith by doing miraculous works in their lives. And then last time, we saw another response to Christ from his own townspeople in Nazareth. Sadly, they don't put their faith in him, and so they don't see Christ's power. And today, we read of Jesus sending out the 12 disciples and how they too must be prepared for rejection. Let's read God's Word, Mark chapter 6. Listen. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many, hearing him, were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Josie, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could not, now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went about the villages in a circuit, teaching. And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Also he said to them, In whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Amen. May God bless to us the reading of his word. Now, when I came to this passage of Jesus sending out his disciples, I was thinking, I wish I had the opportunity to preach this before five of our own young people went out from us to serve the Lord in Florida with Echo. And then afterwards, I thought, no, they have already got the message. It's the rest of you who really need to hear this message. And so I want you to consider this topic of missions and evangelism, of going out and preaching God's word to others. Now, our passage isn't a blueprint for how to do missions. The disciples had a unique calling in their preparation to become apostles. And so I do hope the young people who went to Florida 
I hope they took a change of clothes with them and they took some money for expenses. But from this passage, we can see principles in how to share God's word with others. So I want you to notice that Christ sends you out to preach his message and you're to do so dependent on him even when rejected. And children, I encourage you to draw a picture of you sharing the gospel with others or draw a picture of those five young people who've gone to Florida to serve at Echo. So firstly, consider, when Christ sends you out, he does not send you out alone. So when Christ sends you out, he does not send you out alone. This is a transitional moment in Jesus' ministry. Before the disciples, they were witnesses of Christ. They heard his preaching. They saw his kingdom being manifested by the various miracles that Jesus performed. Now, Jesus is sending out his disciples. They would participate in Christ's kingdom work, for he gives them this commission to go to the surrounding villages. And this would be the beginning of God sending out his people who are part of his kingdom to also serve in his kingdom. And he would later make this explicit in the Great Commission for his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The people are to repent and to follow him. This is the same message that Jesus was preaching, as we noticed in Mark chapter 1. They are to turn from their sins and from their trust in themselves. And instead, their trust is to be in Jesus. He is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. They are to follow him, for he is the good news. He offers salvation, while their sins only lead to condemnation. Not only do the disciples go with Jesus' message, they go with his authority. It was as if Jesus himself was going out. And Jewish law recognized this when it says, the sent one is as the man who commissioned him. So these men, they were going out in the name of Jesus. They carried his authority. And the people they speak to, they would recognize that these men, they come from Jesus. And as a result, they had a responsibility to represent Jesus properly. Now, I've said this before, and many of you will remember that I went to an all-boys school, an all-boys high school, and my sisters, of course, they didn't go to the same school I went to. They went to the all-girls high school in town. And the girls' school was run by this older headmistress who saw the girls' school as more like a finishing school for ladies. And I remember hearing about one school assembly where she told off the girls that you are not to be seen wearing your school uniform in the town and eating a Mars bar. They were representing the school, and so they were to behave as young ladies. Well, Jesus is not stopping you from eating Mars bars, but you are going out in Jesus' name. And so your behavior, your words, they are to be fitting in representing the king. And so to help the disciples in this task... Jesus sends them out in pairs. They would have each other to stay true to their task. They would keep each other accountable. They would encourage one another. Now, yes, they would cover more ground if they went out by themselves. More people would hear about Jesus as the Messiah. But they run the greater risk of not fulfilling their mission at all. And we'll notice that this is a difficult mission. 
in the face of difficulties, is easy to bend. No, they would go together, and as a result, this team ministry would enable them to be faithful to their calling. And going out in pairs would become a pattern in missions. We often read of Paul, known as a great missionary, but rarely did he go by himself. The early church in Antioch, they did not send Paul out by himself. Instead, he was sent out to reach the Gentiles with Barnabas. And these two men went to Cyprus and to modern-day Turkey. And later, this missionary pair would disagree, and so they found new partners. Barnabas took John Mark, the writer of this gospel, and they returned to Cyprus, while Paul took Silas, and they went to Syria. Later, we read of Paul being part of a ministry team. And so this is important for you to grasp. Too often, we think that we're alone, that we have to do Christianity all by ourselves. That's not to be the way. I'm very glad to be serving in this church alongside Pastor Rich. Rich and I enjoy the support and the accountability of each other. And we are part of a team of elders. And so there's even greater accountability. Many pastors in a variety of denominations, they do not enjoy this support structure. They are by themselves. They have no one to turn to. They lack mm. accountability. They grow discouraged. And so it is important in a church to have a plurality of elders. But this accountability and support is not simply in the leadership. No, you have each other. That's a blessing to have each other in the church community. And being part of a church family, you have accountability. It can be hard being a Christian, but you are not alone. God has provided you with the support. He's promised to be with you in the Great Commission. And often his presence is through his people ministering to one another. And so you are to support one another. You are to pray for one another. You are to speak into each other's lives, hold each other accountable. And your goal is to spur one another on in your love and in your service to Christ. You're to help each other as you represent the King. So God does not leave you to be alone. You have each other. Well, secondly, notice in serving God, you are to depend on God, verses 8 to 10. So Jesus gave his disciples very specific instructions. They were not only to preach the gospel, but they were to live it out. And this would be evident in what they took along with them on their journey. They were not to load themselves down with unessential things. Instead, they were to carry a staff, their sandals, and nothing else. No food, no money, no extra clothes. This was a short trip and they were to travel light. Now, when traveling back to Ireland, we had a limit of 50 pounds or 23 kilos per bag, and so we had to be careful in what we took with us. Otherwise, we would be over our weight allowance. But we also knew that we could depend on my parents and my siblings for additional clothes and other things that we would need. And Jesus is wanting his disciples to do the same thing. By taking few belongings they were not to look to their own resources. No, they were to depend on God. Our five young people are on this mission team, and they will soon find themselves exhausted. They will be doing things they've never done before. They are putting themselves out there to serve God. 
and God will bless them by providing for them. Sadly, too often, we never take the risk. We never put ourselves in a vulnerable position. Now, we shouldn't be foolish, but at times we're guilty of being too cautious. No, you are to trust God. You are to have faith in Him, and He will supply your needs. That is the gospel you preach, and so it should be evident in how you live your lives. Another instruction that Jesus gave his disciples was that they were to stay in the same house. Now, hospitality was an important aspect of first century life in Palestine. And Jesus is saying to his disciples that when someone has invited you into their home, this is where you are to stay. And so the disciples, they were not to go around visiting lots of people, enjoying lots of dinners. This was not to be a social trip. This was not an opportunity to look for an upgrade in their accommodation. No, they are on a special mission, and they are to be focused. They are serving Jesus Christ, and they knew their master had nowhere to lay his head. So this was not a time to be seeking comfort and enjoyment. And that's a challenge for us too. We can be very comfortable living in this world, enjoying all that this world has to offer. But remember... While you're in this world, you are pilgrims. You are to travel light. You're not to invest so much into what is temporary. And this is difficult for Christians. We are living in a world where people have more and more. And the temptation is strong to be just like the world. But remember, you are like these disciples. You're on the move. That now is not the time to be focused on your comforts. Instead, there should be an urgency in how you live your life. For you are following Christ. During World War II, life became very different. There was rationing, there were restrictions that affected everyone. And the differences between war and peace are made very evident on board the RMS Queen Mary. This was a transatlantic passenger ship that's now permanently situated in Long Beach, California, as a tourist attraction and hotel. And they have divided some of the rooms on board to demonstrate life on board the ship during peacetime and also life on board the ship during wartime when the ship had been commissioned to transport soldiers. And so in the dining room, you had tables set with a whole array of knives and forks and spoons that would have been used in the lavish dinners with multiple courses each evening served on board. But then on the other side of the divide there was this portrayal of wartime dining, and it was a metal tray with indentations for your food and for your silverware. Nothing fancy, very practical. In the bedrooms, instead of queen beds, there were bunk beds, eight tiers high. And this explained how the Queen Mary could go from a capacity of 3,000 passengers in peacetime to 15,000 troops on board during wartime. Now, I'm not saying that we are all to ditch our dinnerware, but you must remember, you are on a mission to go out with the gospel. It's not yet mission accomplished. Thousands of people have not yet heard the gospel. Many tribes have not been reached. The Bible is still to be translated into thousands of languages. Even on our own doorstep, there is a need for the gospel. So what are you willing to sacrifice to see the gospel go out? 
It could be your money. It could be your time or your expertise in your effort to see Christ be known across this world. On any sacrifice that you make, you can know for sure that Christ will take care of you. You can depend on him. Well, thirdly, do not be surprised if you're not welcomed. Verse 11, Jesus does not promise his disciples that the mission that he's sending them on will be easy. No, they are to expect to be rejected, and so he prepares them for this fact. They're not to be discouraged from fulfilling their task. Instead, they are to recognize that in being rejected, it's actually Jesus Christ who is being rejected, since they are going out in his name. And so he commands them to respond in a way that maybe seems rude or strange. He tells them to shake off the dust from their feet in places where they are not received. And this is what the Jews would do when they left a Gentile area and returned to a Jewish area. They would shake off the dust as if they were removing the contamination. That was how they saw the Gentiles, as impure, as outside of God's grace. And so they do not want to be associated with the judgment that the Gentiles were under. Well, in Jesus commanding the disciples to do the same thing to the Jews, he was saying that these Jews were no different than the Gentiles. They too were outside of God's grace by rejecting God's Messiah. Ferguson says Jesus was saying that a town which was geographically within the sphere of God's covenant might spiritually be a stranger to it. And this speaks of the seriousness of the mission. By rejecting the disciples, they are rejecting Jesus. And in doing so, they are just like the pagans. They're under the judgment of God. Jesus says that this is a testimony against them. Their rejection of Christ and those who go out in Jesus' name, it will be used as evidence for their condemnation at the judgment. And Jesus speaks of this in Matthew 25. It's quite a long quote, so you can look at it in your bulletin. Matthew 25, we read, and he's, he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, as surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And so Jesus is warning of the upcoming judgment. This judgment is harsher for those who hear the gospel and reject it than those who never hear it at all. That's why it's more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for these Jews who reject the disciples and their preaching. And that's a challenge for any here who are sitting under the preaching of God's word and yet reject Jesus Christ. The judgment will be all the greater. So you are to take this warning seriously. Instead of rejecting Jesus, you are to accept him as your Lord and Savior. 
He is the one who rescues you from the upcoming judgment of sin. And this talk of judgment, judgment day, is not comfortable. Often judgment, punishment, hell, it's not even mentioned in churches. But Jesus is being explicit here. Sodom and Gomorrah were raised to the ground in God's judgment against them. And so they are a warning to all who reject Christ and reject those who go in his name. And so, yes, it's hard to be rejected when you preach the gospel to your friends or family. But just remember how terrible the plight is for those who are rejecting Christ. We can cope with the hardship of rejection compared to the everlasting judgment of those who reject the gospel. In the previous passage in Mark, we considered how Jesus was rejected in his hometown. He was amazed at the lack of faith of his fellow townspeople. They had seen him, they had known him personally, and yet they would not accept him as their savior. And ultimately, Jesus would be rejected when he died on the cross. So do not be surprised when you are rejected, when you are not made welcome by those who reject Christ. Too often we can be quick to bend. We change the message so that we are accepted. No, you must stand firm. And this can be especially hard in your own home, by your own family. But as Jesus was rejected, you too will face rejection for the gospel message. So do not be surprised by that. Well, finally, I want us to notice that we are to proclaim the gospel and it's to be accompanied by love, verses 12 to 13. So proclaiming the gospel is to be accompanied by love. So the disciples, as well as preaching the gospel, they were also to cast out demons and heal those who were sick by anointing them with oil. This is just like Jesus' ministry. By the disciples doing the same, it should have been obvious to everyone that they preached in Christ's name because they demonstrated the same power as Christ. And so these miracles were a sign of Christ's kingdom, that there would be no more suffering or pain, that there would be freedom from evil and sin. These miracles were a foretaste of a heavenly kingdom. As I said, this passage gives us principles on how to do missions. So some of this is unique for the disciples. They would be apostles, and so their calling is a one-off. This is particularly evident in their ability to heal diseases, to remove demons, but we do see a principle that in preaching God's word, it should be accompanied by love, whether that love is seen in word or in deed. Sadly, too often the church is known for its preaching, but not for its love. Love is to adorn the gospel message. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, Lo, I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass, or a clanging symbol. You could be preaching the truth, but if there is no love, then you're no more than a sounding brass or a clanging symbol. You're simply a noise that turns people off. No preaching must be accompanied by love. It's no wonder that a church that serves one another and its local community often sees a much greater response to the preaching of God's word. People watching on, they see that it's genuine. They see the difference that the gospel makes in the people's lives, and that it causes them to do these loving things. And this has been evident throughout the history of Christianity. 
Christians have been at the forefront of many charitable organizations. The earliest schools and hospitals were founded by Christians. These were tangible ways to show love to the community. Hughes speaks of the work of the disciples in this way. This was a foretaste of what the church would do through, through the centuries when operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we must consider how we can show love to Bloomington. Thankfully, our Mercy Committee is very active in helping various ministries in our city. When you hear announcements asking for help, you should be quick to respond. This month, they're asking for help for the Hannah Center by providing items that they critically need. This Wednesday, I'm speaking at the Wheeler Mission. I encourage you, come along, meet some very needy and vulnerable people in our society who need to hear the gospel. But we can also do this on an individual basis. One of the biggest problems in our society is that of loneliness. Loneliness itself then leads to further problems like depression or alcoholism or instability. And so it doesn't take much to simply invite someone into your home or meet up with someone for coffee. So even this week, I encourage you to consider your friends or your family or your neighbors. Show them the love of Christ. And maybe you're thinking, well, that's okay for you or that's okay for other people in the church. But I can't do that. We can be so quick to leave this kind of ministry to others. Jesus doesn't call a select group of people. All of his people are to be faithful in serving him by proclaiming the gospel. When we consider these 12 disciples that, that he sent on this mission team, we should not be intimidated by them. This was a ragtag bunch of men. They were not educated. Their faith in Christ was immature. It was weak. They would later all fall away. They doubted Jesus. But Jesus would use them. Jesus even says in John 14, verse 12, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. You can do greater works even than Jesus. Not because you are greater than Jesus, but because you are so weak, and yet Christ chooses to use you. He works through you to reach his people. So ask the question, who is God using you to reach? Hughes puts it well when he says, knowing who we are, it is amazing that he uses us at all. Yes, we should be humbled. But remember, that is how Christ brings his message to this world. So proclaim God's word and do so in love. So Christ sends you out to preach his message. You are to do so dependent on him, even when rejected. Now, when we were back in Northern Ireland, we got the opportunity to visit Andy and Jan Briggs's friend, Maud Kells. I've mentioned her before a couple of times. She was with Andy and Jan in the Congo. But what challenged me again about this lady, who is 83 years old, is that she continues to go out to the Congo to visit. And I was reading her recent prayer letter that described her hazardous journey to the Congo which made me feel a little pathetic in my grumbling of our trip through Dublin Airport. It took her five days to finally reach her destination. She frequently goes out to the Congo to bring medical supplies as well as encourage the work that's going on out there. And the work that these Christians are doing in Congo is growing. 
Uh, she writes about how more buildings are being built to add capacity to the hospital and to the school. But also there is a, a Bible school there too, and it's growing due to a huge influx of students. Maud, as you know, was shot, and she nearly died a few years ago in serving Congo. And yet, in facing this rejection, it did not stop her. She continues to serve God, clearly dependent on him in every step of the journey. And so likewise, Christ sends you out to preach his message. You are to do so dependent on him, even when rejected. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, this is a challenging passage, but we thank you that you don't send us out alone, that you are with us, as often evident in our church family who support us as we tell others of the gospel. Help us, Lord, not to depend on ourselves, but instead depend on your strength. And so, Lord, help us to give our all for you. Father, we're so afraid of rejection, and so we pray that you'd help us to stand firm, especially when it comes to sharing the gospel with our family. Help us, Lord, to demonstrate love when we share the gospel, so that those who we share with would recognize the genuineness of your message when they see the change in our own lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's close our service singing Psalm 96a. Psalm 96a, this psalm of praise tells us to proclaim each day that God saves, that his glory would be evident to all nations, that his deeds would be known to all peoples. So let's stand and sing Psalm 96a. <laughs>